So you're a successful actor who wants to try his hand at directing. Not only is your first try a box office hit, but it goes on to win seven Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Director. What kind of movie do you decide to direct after that? A post-apocalyptic film set in 2013 about a guy with mental health problems who wants to deliver mail. Yep, that's right. We're going to talk about 1997's The Postman. I'm Troy Sauer. Brad Anderson. And Sammy from the GGTMC. And this is Not a Bomb. are done with spooky season it is the month of november brad how you doing man i'm doing good man how are you i'm doing so good i'm doing well sorry i hate when people say you're doing good i'm doing well thank you for asking i'm excited we got our good friend sammy here um we're we're talking about bombs that now full disclosure the movie we're talking about tonight 1997's the postman sammy has seen this film and when we put the list out there sammy you wanted to watch this right again and talk about it yeah, because I remember I bought the DVD for like ten bucks, like when it came out. It was on sale immediately. It DVD. Was that era when, <laughs> it was that era when anything that was ten to fifteen bucks, I just bought it. Oh yeah, yeah. Now wait a minute. Now that I think about it, I still do that. Anyway, I was gonna say, how's that different? Say, than what's today? changed <laughs> other than the yeah. format? <laughs> Nothing's yeah. changed. Twenty years, I've been doing the same thing. But <laughs> I remember watching it and. As with most new releases, after the hyperbole dies down, I tend to watch them and watch them on their own merits. I remember liking it, and then I watched it again. Okay. And we'll talk about it tonight. So the whole theme in November, so what makes this a little different is Brad and I sat down and we went through the whole list of, uh, I, I guess it was recommendations from listeners, et cetera, and we wanted to pick out movies that bombed and some epic bombs that we had never seen before. So the two I picked for this month is The Postman, uh, the Kevin Costner film. And then I'm following that up with uh, Heaven's Gate. And Brad, you've got two films. What's the what what are the two you picked for this month? Ishtar and Black Hat. Okay. And full disclosure, all four of those films, if you go back and Google search anything like some of the biggest movie bombs, those four titles are gonna show up. And um, <laughs> what's funny is I still haven't seen Lawrence Arabia, which is a pretty long film. But you know what? I said three hours of my life is going to be dedicated to Kevin Costner's sophomore directorial effort, The Postman. Hmm. I haven't I, seen Lawrence of Arabia, but you have seen Free Guy. <laughs> yes, I, I did watch Free Guy. So we were we were just kind of talking about this a little bit before the show. Um, 2021 from a movie going experience, I think has been okay. And I was kind of excited about visiting this film because I haven't, I I don't know about you guys this year, outside of maybe Edgar Wright's last night in Soho, I I haven't seen a film kind of come across where it's just a real passion project and it's a high profile passion project. 
and everybody's kind of putting their stuff out there. I feel like everything that's been released this year has been, I, I hate using the phrase by the numbers, but that's what's got me excited about a lot of the films that we're talking about this month specifically. They're epic bombs, but they're bombs from either directors or stars or writers that they kind of just put everything and, you know, <laughs> that their little heart wanted to put into the film. And it's an, it's a different, I guess, type of film than I think what you see in the mainstream box office. Am I crazy about that? I don't think so. Cause I think things are so people are so risk averse now and they're, they are, you could tell movies now are so made out of a boardroom and people looking at numbers and charts and saying, if we do this and we do this and we do this, then we can make X money and we only have to spend this amount of money and we our biggest loss will be this and we know everything about they can forecast so well now it's like actuaries are making movies now which is a <laughs> frightening sentence to say i think you're close to the precipice of another independent cinema boom because everything is so kind of cookie cutter right now although i will say i just less than an hour ago left a screening of eternals and i will say Took some guts to make that movie. Uh, that's what I'll say about that. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a gay character in it, right? And like, they won't play it in certain mar- markets because of that. And Disney, yeah. kind of surprising to me, said, that's fine. We're, you're not going to censor our movie. And it's I kind of applaud them for that. It's the most risk Dis- uh, Marvel has taken since Iron Man oh. in one movie. I'll say that. Okay. Well, that's, now I'm a intrigued. Now, Dis- Disney is censoring it because I think there are some... Yeah sex scenes or not out, outright there sex scenes but there's that, some thrusting yeah there's some thrusting but that's not being shown in uh most markets i think just the u.s yeah. i was that was slightly awkward uh today but you know it is it is what it is when you watch it with your children yeah well i and so i finally caught up with free guy um had a lot of people recommend and talk about that one and, uh, you know, after the dust settled with that, I think um, you use the term Sammy Bubblegum. I use the term Twinkie, like it's empty calories. It, it's an okay film. But in, in kind of sitting back and looking at all of the movies from this year, I think it's going to be tough. And we've got a couple of, uh, you know, months left, November and December. I, I think it's really going to be tough to come up with a top five of films that just wow me. Um, uh-huh. I. I I don't know. I liked nobody that that's the only film I can think of from beginning of the, of the year that I had a lot of fun with, but, um, it, that was good. That was good. Yeah. Pig, pig is really good. I really like pig a lot. Okay. Yeah. I just, I need to see that before the end of the year so I can really make my top five. Yeah. That, that just came out on blu-ray. I think, um, yeah, this, yeah just this recently, week, yeah. but yeah, that this is just a long way of saying I was really, I, well, I am really excited about all the films that we're talking about this month, starting with the postman well, because they all at least take a big swing. Oh yeah, they do. I mean, and they, <laughs> and when you read about them, they are passion projects. So this one was a pretty big project for Kevin Costner, Warner brothers. We'll get into some details, but Brad, uh, I, I just, I really want to get right into this because I'm really curious about everybody's thoughts on this. It's it's a three hour film, so it's all of us had to film. all of us had to carve out three hours to to sit down and watch um, Kevin Costner deliver mail. But let's talk about the numbers and the, I guess, critical reception of this thing. But I also want to address like what the viewer reception is too, because that kind of surprised me. But um, I'm going to hand it over to you for for the numbers. 
Sure. So The Postman, um, like you said, was released in 1997. It was released on Christmas of 1997. So let's celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and Kevin Costner on the same day. Why yes. not? Yeah. Um, with a reported budget of $80 million, a box office gross of $17.6 million. Wow. So when we talk about, again, when we talk about production budget, we're talking $80 million reportedly. That's not to market or distribute the film at all. That's straight production. Um, basically, that's all the cost before you're putting your film out. Um, and we see with 17.6, they're not even getting back um, 20% of their production budget, That's which crazy. is a problem. Yeah. That is a problem. Um, it's opening weekend. It makes $5.2 million. And it uh, was ranked number nine. It's opening weekend. So that that is a big, big problem. Um, I think somewhere I read if your film costs $80 million, you want to make at least half the first weekend um, because the way the math works, you're basically doing 50% um, each week after, right? Next week after that. Yep. So, you know, so um, here are the films that beat out uh, The Postman in 1997 in the theaters. I'm interested if, in this because I, I've, I, you know, I was, this was a prime movie going time for me. So I want to see how many of these I saw. Okay. <clears throat> we have Titanic. We all saw Titanic in the yeah, theater. A couple times. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. We all saw that in the theater. Michelle Yeoh. Yep. As good. Yes. Thanks, Troy. Uh, <laughs> as good as it gets. Yeah. I did not see as good as it gets in the theater. Uh, I did. Mouse Hunt. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I, I, I enjoyed Mouse Hunt. <laughs> this is the first uh, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Gore Verbinski's Mouse Hunt, right? Mm -hmm. That yeah, is correct. correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, my first Quentin Tarantino film in a theater, Jackie Brown, comes out. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Scream 2, which I saw in the theater. Yeah. Um, a stinker here. American Werewolf in Paris comes out. Yeah, saw, saw that in the theater, though. <laughs> saw that in the theater. Yeah. Uh, I did, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's a stinker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we have Flubber which every millennial will tell you was one of the greatest movies of all time, but it is atrocious. Never seen it. Um, I, I we, never saw that one. Okay. And the amount of CGI that they had to do for that movie is insane. I remember seeing like the special commentary on some of that stuff and it's, it's insane. Um, and then we have the postman. So the postman beats out Mr. Magoo that weekend, right? Well, Mr. Oh, Magoo. That was the Leslie, Leslie Nielsen, Nielsen, and it was directed by Stanley Tong yes. of uh, Police Story 4 and Super Cop, Police Story 3 yes. fame. Yeah. So yeah. for context, The Postman, which cost $80 million, yeah. makes $5.2 million its opening weekend. Hmm. Mr. Magoo makes $5.23 million its opening weekend, and it has a $30 million budget. So Mr. Magoo almost beats out the postman um, for, I will say this. I will say this. The postman is better than Mr. Magoo. Uh, that's, all, that's all I'll say. Okay. Okay. All right. I, yeah, I would agree with you. Yes. And the fact I've that we've seen Mr. Magoo says something about our time in 1997. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so if the, if the budget and the floppiness, <laughs> floppiness, what am I saying? What the heck? 
<laughs> the financial now, flop of this movie. That's a new word. The financial floppiness of this movie. Oh, my God. Uh, wasn't enough. Critically, the Postman sits at an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. But, but audience scores 50%. Yeah. So then we're looking at like almost like six and a half times more uh, – of, of like a favorable score from the audience than the critics. Um, and uh, did you ever look at like the Amazon reviews for this as well? I did. I was trying to find some really funny ones. Um, unfortunately, it's just like everyone always like, well, what do you expect? You know, all those, um, which I hate because it's like people giving a pass to a movie. Um, but I think it's, it's like, Four and a half stars. Yeah, like it's four and a half stars. Over, over like 7,000 uh, reviews, which is insane. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, let so, that sink in for a second. That That's a three-hour film that somebody purchased from Amazon, then went back and reviewed it, and on average gave it four and a half stars out of five. That's yep. how much they liked it. Yep. Um, I believe a lot of boomers probably like this movie. No offense. Um other films you could see in the month of December of 1997. Some good films here. We have Goodwill Hunting, The Borrowers, Scream 2, which we already said, Amistad, Tomorrow Never Dies, Deconstructing Harry, Home Alone 3, Spice World, Open Your Eyes, uh, As Good As It Gets, Mouse Hunt, Life is Beautiful, Wag the Dog, and The Boxer. Wow. All films of December of 1997. So, man, that's like 12 films. That's a lot of films coming out in December, but it's usually kind of what happens. Um, anything else, Troy? Anything else? Well, I, no, I think that's all my homework for today. Yeah, I was going to say, keep in mind, 1997, and I'm, I'm sure you'll touch on this, Sammy, when we talk about Kevin Costner. I mean, I'll, I'll just talk about his um, filmography as a director, but... Kevin Costner in 1997 was still a big name in Hollywood. Uh, he was a very bankable star. So mm -hmm. when we talk about the people behind the camera, in front of the camera, what really made me gravitate to this pick was Kevin Costner directed the film. So Kevin Costner has directed three films, Dances with Wolves in 1990, The Postman Ooh. in 1997, and Open Range in 2003. Uh, personally for me, I'll go on record to say two of those three films are, in, in my opinion, freaking fantastic. Now, yeah. Brad, yeah. you have a problem yes. with Dances with Wolves. Why, why is that? I have a huge problem. Okay, why is that? Because it was beat, it beat out Goodfellas for the best picture of the Academy Awards for that year, yeah. which is a all-time just horrible, horrible pick by the Academy. Uh, Score says he did not win the best director that year either. Um, I, I I dare you. I dare you. Nor did it win editing. No, it didn't win. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Joe Pesci, I think, won for supporting actor. I think that might be the one of the only awards that it got that year. Yeah. I I dare you to find somebody that will talk about Dances with Wolves like they talk about Goodfellas. Goodfellas is a freaking masterpiece that just, I, I just, I can't get behind the fact that it 
that Dances with Freaking Wolves got was picked to be a better picture than Goodfellas. It just blows my mind. And I yeah. hold a grudge against it ever since. <laughs> wow. It seems to me every year that I, I used to watch the Academy Awards quite closely, they love when an actor, they always seem to have loved when an actor would take control of something and make some hit like that. I, it seems to me like somebody else did that too. But Ar- Argo won Best Picture. Yeah, which I, I think, believe, yeah. I don't think Argo's a very good movie. That's me. Mm. But... Uh, I like Dances with Wolves. I don't think it's a better film than Goodfellas. I agree with you, Brad. But I think Dances with Wolves is a good movie. I think uh, some people have kind of culturally appropriated some of it, which is kind of weird because they never said that Mary O'Donnell was actually an Indian in the movie. She was actually a white woman that was kind of taken on by the Indians. But some people have somehow taken that as some type of racial thing. I have no idea. I think they need to go back and watch the movie. Um, I like two of the three movies a lot, too. I'm going to tell you if I like this movie or not. As we talk about it. Yeah. Well, and, and just a reminder. So Dancers with Wolves, I mean, it was a box office hit, but it was a little bit of a cultural phenomenon, too, because for the Oscars, I mean, it won Best Picture. Well, yeah, I think Dancers with Wolves made over like $400 million. Yeah, it was Insane. crazy. Everybody saw yeah. it. So it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Writing, Screenplay Based on Material from Another Medium, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Editing, and Best Music Original Score. It was also nominated for Best Actor. So Kevin Costner was nominated. It, uh, Graham Greene was om- uh, nominated for a supporting role. Um, Mary McDonald was nominated for a supporting role. Uh, best Art Direction was nominated for that. And then Best Costume Design, it was nominated for that too. So it was it was huge. Yeah, 12, 12 nominees, right? Yeah. 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 And I remember it was big with males and females. Like uh, Kevin Costner was really at the peak of his, I don't know, sexual attraction too, to say the least. Because men liked him because he was kind of manly in some way. But I remember the girls I was seeing at the time dating or when I was dating, uh, they all wanted to see it too. Uh, and they all thought Costner was hot. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> – let's let's talk about the screenplay because i i actually think just based on three films and we'll talk about the postman specifically but if you're looking at dances with wolves going into this film you go well there is a talented director behind the now i will i will allow you to hold a grudge against it brad because of goodfellas but to me Good, they're i'm going to they're, they're just two <laughs> different films like this is the problem i have with the academy award is if you go and look at goodfellas and dances with wolves to come out that year yeah, I think Goodfellas is probably a better film, but it doesn't take away from my appreciation of how good Dances with Wolves is. Um, but the the screenplay, this is where it gets interesting too. So it's based on the novel by David Brin, and we'll talk about um, sort of what was going on with the novel uh, when we when we share some trivia, but it's based on a book. There are two screenwriters, and you couldn't, in my opinion, pick two more different styles uh, of screenwriters, in my opinion, you have Eric Roth. So he has written things like Forrest Gump that came out in 1994, The Insider, Ollie, Munich, A Star is Born, and most recently, Dune from 2021. Yeah, he up right on Dune, yeah. Yeah. Now, partnered with him is Brian Helgeland. He did A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, 976 Evil, Assassins, now here's where some good stuff comes in <laughs> and I use good subjectively LA confidential conspiracy theory payback. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
are you are you saying that LA Confidential is not a good movie? No, no, no. I I'm saying that uh, your version of good on things like oh. Nightmare on Elm Street four and Nine Seven Six Evil and Assassins, like I like those films, but I wouldn't sit yeah. there and go, well, these are these are high caliber films. They're fun, right? Uh, LA Confidential is amazing. Conspiracy Theory, yeah. eh, right? Yeah. Payback with Mel Gibson is fantastic. He did that one. Yeah. Mystic- is that the Give Me Back My Son or is that Ransom? That's Ransom. That's Ransom. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. a Ron Howard film. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Then uh, Mystic River, 2003, he did that one. Man on Fire and then Legend from 2015, which I like quite a bit. But mm-hmm. th- those two. I believe he is responsible for the Taking of Pella 123 remake in the line Kiss My Bunghole, motherfucker, which. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, John Travolta right. says in that movie, right up there with Evil Dead <laughs> tonight. That line, yes, yeah, yes, it does. <laughs> we're gonna have to have a top ten. <laughs> Those two, uh, Brian Helgeland, also direct, he's a director too, right? He uh, he directed, didn't he direct uh, Night's Tales? Did you say that? Yeah, I don't Night's know. Tale, yeah, yeah, he directed that. Yeah, he's, which some people absolutely love. Uh, I like it. It's 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 an interesting take. I think it's one of those films now because of the Heath Ledger thing is, is like looked on more fondly than it was at the time. I think it's it kind terrible. of came and went. It's at terrible. The time. It was terrible. Well, then. It's also it's like terrible now. <laughs> it has like modern music, but like, in a, yeah, it was a strange next, choice at the time. Yeah. I remember, you know, picking pop songs, uh, in particular, uh, queen. Yeah. Um, uh, being that it was uh, quite a, and it, it really took me out of the movie, which is weird because that usually doesn't happen. Cause you know, like Tarantino, he used a uh, hip hop and Django Unchained, and that didn't bother me. I know it bothered some people that I saw the film with, but it didn't bother me at all. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, that that was an odd choice for that film, but I just think in general the movie was terrible. Um, yeah, one man's opinion. I think I think that was a hit, so we won't have to ever have to worry about reviewing that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, director of photography Stephen Winden. Uh, he did The Postman. The next year, he did a couple of films: Firestorm in 1998, which is that uh, action film. With the forest fire Howie guy, Long. Howie Long, yeah. which I yeah. quite enjoy. I think that's a fun yeah, film. It's a good one. It makes you wonder why Howie Long didn't make more action movies. I know, and that that's another one I'd like to go back and revisit. And maybe we'll just throw on the list. Uh, but I unfortunately, I think it. Well, not unfortunately. I think it actually did okay. I'll have to go look at the numbers. Yeah, I don't. Uh, the Patriot, Deep Blue Sea. Oh, here you go. He did the Jackie Tuxedo Chan. in two thousand two. So there's your Jackie Chan um, connection for for this week. The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. So I think he started doing a lot of the photography for that series. Star Trek Beyond. Um, and most recent film was uh, F9, The Fast Saga. So he's been the photography. Uh, he's the photographer for most of those films. God, and then just, um, just a fat check all the time for those movies. God, God bless him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and lastly, I thought this was pretty interesting because uh, we don't really put a spotlight on these folks who really – drive the production of these films, but none other than Bonnie Belknap. She was the food stylist on this film. Do you know what a food uh, stylist does on a movie? Um, no. Mm. Does she put like the Gouda cheese in like a semicircle or something like that <laughs> as opposed to like a straight line? Does she make a cake that looked like a telegram? No, no, no. So it's different than a caterer, right? So uh, the food stylist, they're, they're the creative professional that prepares the food before it's photographed. So it's usually in a close-up or something of that nature. Holy so they also, oh, okay. yeah, they also ensure that the food is going to last for the length of the, the photo shoot or the filming process. So what's amazing is Bonnie has a, has a pretty good resume. She also worked with Kevin Costner in Waterworld in 1995. 
Wild Hogs in 2007. I love her work there. But more importantly, I thought she really hit her peak in 2016 for La La Land. And she was the food stylist on all those films. Isn't it just soup in this movie? Like water soup in this movie? But like- the, no, no, no. That gruel and the bread as it was positioned because it was being photographed, she would have to go in and position it in such a way that it could be photographed. She's uh, like the and, David Fincher of like food. Yeah. yeah That's and, not gruel. That, that wasn't gruel. That was mule. Mule. Yeah. And and let's. <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. Bill. I do not care what you say about this film. You can levy whatever criticism you want. But I'm telling you, Bonnie's work in The Postman is fantastic because I paused every time on my Blu-ray. There was food on there. It looked gorgeous. It was really good. I want I want to see those stills. Those publicity feels badly. I, also, just for the record, guarantee you she makes more money than all three of us combined. I oh, get well, no doubt. She's probably like also works for McDonald's or something. And like every time you see a Big Mac on screen, that's her. You know, she probably yeah. got like four million for just Wild Hogs uh, alone. I mean, how much food was in that film? My goodness. Wow. Um, was the same person that said "Kiss My Bunghole" was in that movie? Though? Yeah, yeah. Travolta. I'm sure Travolta <laughs> has to have food on set. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, bungholes. You know. <laughs> that that those are the people I wanted to call out for. You know the artistic creativity that happened behind the camera. Sammy, uh, you especially as many episodes you've done from the GGMC. What I thought would be interesting is for you to kind of take us um, down the list of the people that are in front of the camera, starting with Mr. Costner. But I, I recognize there's a lot of people in this film that you've talked about on your show before too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of character actors in here and a lot of a lot of good people in the movie. Um, and again, I always say, you know, whether a film's good or not, that's never the fault of the actors. The actors just show up and do the work, right? So they can be great in a bad film. We all know that. Um, not saying this is a bad film yet. Not saying that yet. But uh, we'll start with Costner himself. You know, he doesn't really hit the scene, hit the scene until Fandango, the Kevin Reynolds film, early. Yeah. Uh, which I saw on cable, and I remember thinking, this guy will never be a star. And then he was in Silverado, and I was like, okay, this guy's a star. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, are you a Silverado fan? I love that film. It's I like, Yeah, I like it a lot. It's something I need to revisit, though. It's something uh, that I have not seen enough to have that that love for it that some folks have. It's, it's a cliche. It it's just all the cliches of a Western brought together with what I think is like one of the best cast in the 80s. But yeah. um, I, I have a serious love for that film because I think that I had always watched Westerns with my father growing up. But as soon as Silverado came along, it was like, oh, I, I think I kind of like this genre. And that's what triggered me to go back and, and watch the older stuff or revisit the things that I was being force fed at the time. Yeah. And there's a lot we could talk about with Costner. I mean, he's worked uh, quite a bit. I mean, mostly as a leading actor. His box office has kind of come and went. He's no more known for TV right now with Yellowstone. And it's a, I'll say that I watch Yellowstone and it's a very good show. It's kind of like the Sopranos in Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very hardcore um, and uh, it's very surprising. It's probably more violent than any film that Kevin Costner was ever in. Ooh, um, okay. But it's a, it's an interesting show to say the least, but we've all kind of, uh, we've all kind of seen his rise and fall and, rebirth and stuff and he's notable for baseball films and things like that obviously so he was also in, almost in a tarantino film do we yeah. all does anyone know which one it was uh, uh no i have no idea was it uh oof. no was i it? don't yeah. Django unchained i believe uh, he was going to be big daddy oh okay before don johnson 
Um, Because I remember reading like he was cast and he had to drop out because of scheduling, but he was going to be in Django Unchained. Are are you guys Kevin Costner fans? Uh, uh, I mean, is if he's going to show up in something, do you get excited or do you go back and revisit his filmography? I don't know that I ever get excited. Uh, I tend to watch his films, though. Uh, at least some of them. Uh, I didn't get to see Let Him Go, the recent film with him and Diane Lane, but I, I wanted to. I thought it cut a nice trailer. I just haven't got around to it. Um, I like his movies for the most part. I think he's I think he's a movie star. I don't I think there's a difference between an actor who with real talent, and don't get me wrong, I think they all can act. I mean, I can't do what they do or I'd be doing it, but he's just the kind of guy that carries a certain amount of weight when he gets on screen. He has movie star ability. I don't know what it is. Because he does, if you watch his acting, he does a lot of the same things in every movie he does. I think that's a an, a very astute comment about him. I've, I've always felt the same way. I never thought he was a great actor, but I've always enjoyed him on the screen. Like Tin Cup, I love Tin Cup. The, the sports films, like the Tin Cup, yeah. For Love of the Game, Bull Durham, Field of Dream. I mean, I love him in those films, but I don't particularly think he stands out as an actor. No, he kind of reminds me of Gary Cooper. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, who was that's a, a good great Hollywood actor, great Hollywood move matinee star. But I never really felt like Gary Cooper was ever. I mean, to me, there's like one scene in High Noon where I really feel like he's acting. <laughs> Other than that, he just showed up. Yeah. I, I, uh, it's funny. I think I saw probably JFK when I was probably 10. So it was probably 93, 94. And I, you know, at that time, I don't know that movies are fake, really. Like, so if you make a movie about JFK, you're like, oh, this is what really happened. And you, <laughs> you know, come to learn that it was, you know, uh, Oliver Stone. And you're like, it's definitely not real. But um, yeah, it, yeah, it's I, I grew up playing baseball. So I've seen Field of Dreams probably a thousand times. Love yeah. the game. I've seen a lot. Uh, Bull Durham. I've seen quite a bit. Um, I think I think for the love of the game is like really underrated. I think that is a. It's really awesome film. Yeah. It's one of those movies that's like when it's on TV, like when I used to watch movies on cable, it's like if it was on TV, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in. I'm watching. I'm watching well, whatever part it's on. I'm watching to the very end. Um, yeah. I don't think he's the best actor in the world, but I think he's got some sort of charisma that it's, it's hard to not like him mm-hmm. um, when he's on, you know, just when you're, we're seeing him on, on TV and stuff like that and on the big screen. So he's just got something. It's hard to say what it is. Cause I don't know if it was like a, like charismatic quality to him or, or what, but there's just something about him that I don't know. It's hard yeah. to say, even like, I think like in Superman, like there's some really dumb moments, but you're like, man, I wish you were my, I love my dad, but I was like, man, if Kevin Costner could be my dad, like that'd be awesome. So whatever, whatever. But, but man, it's still kind of a good example. Cause when he shows up, it's like the movie gets an extra bit of weight to it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, exactly. You're like, wow, that's Kevin Costner. <laughs> He's that kind of actor. I, I just don't think, you know, again, I think his, the, some of the projects he's picked has made him kind of legendary on screen. Um, and I think that's what he is. He's a movie star before he's an actor. No, um, I like that. I like that comparison. Yeah. I always talk, I always talk about that on our show when, when we would talk about it because there's people who really, you know, you feel are really working and then there's the character actors, but then there's guys who just show up. I mean, Marlon Brando is the greatest example of all time. I mean, the guy never learned his lines. He wrote everything down 
he just would just look at stuff on, you know, if he, he picked people are like, he's a genius. Look at him. He picks up this thing and he's talking. Yeah, he picked it up because he wrote the dialogue on there. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> or he would like have it in his ear and, yeah. and pick yeah. up police <laughs> chatter. That's yeah. one of my favorite things of, I've ever heard about a movie in my entire life. But uh, on the island of Dr. Moreau, he had that earpiece in and he was picking up like police chatter. <laughs> and then he would say it out loud because he thought that was his line. So I was like, yeah. God, uh, damn. People are like, he's a genius. Yeah. He's going off script. He's a genius. What is he yeah. doing? <laughs> There's a progress. So this is essentially a white hat versus black hat film. It's kind of a Western. So yeah. we go to our black hat here, who's General Bethlehem, is played by Will Patton. Now, Will Patton is always kind of fun when he shows up in a movie because he's certainly an actor who loves to choose scenery. Yes. Uh, he's not afraid to go over the top. And honestly, I'm just going to put my two cents on the table right now and say he's the best thing about this movie uh, for me. Uh, he's cheesy and menacing and sometimes... I think he knows exactly what kind of movie yeah, he is in. Strangely funny at times in this movie. <laughs> he makes me laugh quite a bit. He's like, oh, look at that. You know, it's just like little <laughs> weird moments of like, he's creepy too. Oh, I can't wait to um, I can't wait to discuss <laughs> the Shakespeare off between him and Kevin Costner. <laughs> oh yeah, that's very good. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't believe though, as smart as General Bethlehem is, he doesn't recognize the postman the next time he sees him. Yeah. Are you serious, dude? We can't, we can't go down this road yeah, right not now. Yet, we not yet, not yet. We have to wait. <laughs> you got to wait. Oh, oh, wait, okay, boy. Okay. Um, you get Lorenz Tate, who had a little bit of a career going for a little while. He did, uh, you know, Miss the Society, mm-hmm. um, The Inkwell, which is a film I like. Dead Presidents, a that he's really Dead good Presidents, in Dead Presidents. Yeah. That film is, is a bit troubled, but I like it. I like mm-hmm. it quite a bit. Yeah, Love Jones is another yeah. great movie. Yeah, he had a really good run there for a little while. And then he kind of, I don't know what he's been up to lately, but, uh, you know, I didn't do a lot of research on him. But I liked him. Uh, I think he's, he's a talented guy. Olivia Williams is in here. This is kind of early in her career. She's done quite a bit of stuff. Probably most notoriously known now as the lady who uh, had, uh, I think, sex with Schwarzenegger in Sabotage, maybe, and acted like she was bow-legged afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a memorable scene. James Russo. Now here's, now, here's a GGTMC favorite. James Russo plays Idaho. Now, he's one of my favorite character actors because every movie he's in, he sounds like he's from New York because that's where James Russo's from. Yeah. <laughs> and even here, he's like, come on, you guys. You know, and he's uh, he's a lot of fun. He's always usually a bad guy or a sniveling twerp or something like that. Uh, you've seen him in tons of movies. I think he worked with Tarantino. I believe he was in Django, I believe. He's in Django. And he mm-hmm. he also worked with Costner in Open Range as well. Too. Open Range as well, yeah. 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 That's yeah. the movie I remember him from. I mean, there for a while, a- he was in like four or five movies a year. Like he was yeah. one of those guys who worked yeah. a lot. Yeah, he's almost got 200 credits. I mean, this guy does, he's just, a, he's a character actor. He shows up, he does his job, and he leaves. And uh, he does a lot of good stuff. He's really, really good, though, in uh, the remake of We're No Angels uh, with De Niro and Sean Penn. He's really good in that. I, re- I highly recommend his performance in that. Oh, okay. And that's a better film than people say. Uh, Daniel Von Bargen, uh, another great character actor. You probably know him from a few things. Uh, he's got kind of an interesting face, kind of odd. I can't remember the thing I would know him the most from, though. Do you guys uh, know who I'm talking about? He plays the sheriff in that one town. Um, he was like a man. man. He's Mr. Kruger, like Kruger on Seinfeld. He's yeah. he on Seinfeld. Jonathan uh, Demi. Jonathan Demi uses him every now and then because of his face. Uh, I remember him as the jury foreman in uh, <laughs> Philadelphia. Wasn't he in Super and, Troopers? He uh, was in Super Troopers. He was Trooper. the, the chief Grady or something? He's Chief Grady. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, he was in the faculty. There you go. Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right. Yeah, he was also in uh wasn't he No Brother? Did you say that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. in that. Yep. Uh we got Tom Petty. We don't really need to talk about that. That's kind of a silly moment. He, in the movie. He's kind we'll, of we'll famous, I think. <laughs> yeah, don't come around here no more, Tom yeah, that's Petty. A, that's the moment where you realize that Tom Petty and Kevin Costner might have been smoking weed and like, hey man, yep. you used to be famous. <laughs> Uh, Peggy Lipton shows up in the movie as well. Another kind of odd moment where you're like, I don't understand. Joe Santos, another great character actor, probably mostly known for playing uh, Becker on Rockford Files. I was, uh, that's a Troy P. generation thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember his face from just tons of TV in like the 70s and 80s. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm always excited when I see him because I do remember him from just like, I felt like he was on like every TV show growing up. Yeah, there there are so many people in this movie. Rex Lynn's in here. He plays a... Uh, he was the uh, the the guy that got everything kickstarted in Cliffhanger, which we talked about a few months back. Yes, as the uh, kind of a treasury agent who kind of sold his soul or whatever. And uh, Ron McLarty's in here as old George. Now you, that name might not sound real familiar, but I know Ron McLarty. He's a good uh, writer. He writes novels, and he's a good audiobook reader. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I know that that sounds funny to say, but I've listened to a lot of audiobooks with Ron McLarty reading them, and he reads them really well. Uh, I can't think of, I mean, there's other, people. actually, now that you say that, <laughs> I think he did, I want to say he did, uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah, he might have. And a lot I was going through a Hunter S Thompson phase, like we all did. And I, re- I think now that you say that, I'm like, wait, that was him who read that. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the other folks you'll see in this movie are, it's, it's a little bit of nepotism. Uh, Costner puts his kids in this movie quite a bit. Annie Costner gets quite a role. Uh, I think she's the uh, the young girl, uh, young girl postman. I believe. Oh, I'm pretty okay. sure that's her. Yeah, yeah. Um, Post person. That's about all I got. I mean, I really don't have much more. But I mean, there's a lot of good character actors. There's, you know, people that have been on TV shows recently that you've seen and stuff. But that's about it. I don't think there's really any need to go any deeper than that. Giovanni Rubisi. We should mention him because he had that run in the '90s where he played the same character that he's playing here. Yes. And I almost hated him for life because I hate that character. But uh, he came out of that, and he's actually a pretty good actor. But, man, he plays that character. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You're younger than us, Troy, Uh, Mr. Rubisi. Oh, he is? 1974. Um, No, that's the thing that always surprises me is that when you look at, um, again, the people that kind of show up on screen, like you said, it's a ton of people that – are really good character actors. They've been in, a, in just a ton of different stuff. And if you give Costner anything, I think he always puts a good ensemble cast together with all of his films. Because when I look at Dances with Wolves, this one, and even Open Range, I like everybody that is in front of the camera. I, I just and they're they're unique. They have a different look. Um, I, I don't know. I just I, I like I like the stuff that you know he's putting in uh, on on the screen in terms of the choices he's making for these parts. And whether or not they're successful, we'll talk about in a second. But a couple couple things I was going to share that I thought was interesting. So author David Brin revealed that while studios were bidding for The Postman, now think about this for a second. He writes the book, studios get a hold of the book, and there's a bidding war over the rights to film The Postman, right? So while this is going on, his wife decided during a screening of Field of Dreams that Kevin Costner should portray The Postman. She thought that's that's the character, right? Which makes sense when you think about, I, I, I'm going to assume that this film is close to the novel uh, because when I read that comment, I'm like, okay, I could, I could see you were gravitating to maybe that Field of Dreams character for this post-apocalyptic 
uh, postman character. The other thing is that Kevin Costner supposedly passed on the lead role in Air Force One to work on this. I, mm. I didn't know that. I, I would have kind of liked to see a version of Air Force One with Kevin Costner versus Harrison Ford if that was going to be the same role. Mm. Um, I have a feeling he would have played the Harrison Ford part. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, yeah. and this, <laughs> so we've talked about this in the past. Like you, you can always tell when a movie's in trouble through a couple of things that happen before its release. So here, here's a giveaway, right? So despite the film performing disastrously at two, two test screenings, so studios ran it twice and they do the little scorecards. Everybody collects the scorecards. And everybody's like, this thing's terrible. And the studio goes back to Costner and says, hey, look, you got to do something with this. And, and one of those things is cut it down from runtime. Costner refused Warner Brothers appeal that he edited it down from its massive three hour running time. So what was shown in the test screening is pretty much what, you know, we got to watch in the theaters and at home. And this film actually won some awards. Did you know this? I, Lots of Razzies. Yes. <laughs> Razzie Awards. Kevin Costner won two Razzie Awards. He won for Worst Actor and Worst Director. Mm. The movie won Worst Picture. It also won Worst Screenplay. And it won Worst Original Song. It swept at the Razzies that year. What song, what song won Worst Song, Troy? Um, it's the one that he did a duet on, I believe. No, it's the whole damn soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I just said no. This is all bad. Okay. All bad. Okay. The Razzies are funny, although I mean, because let's let's be honest. Again, I said I can't say it's much better than much that Brad talked about in the beginning, but it's certainly better than Mr. Magoo. <laughs> so you know, I mean, it, that, 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 that is that, weird. Obviously, clearly, that was a personal attack. But you I know, guess. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm still. I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of stuff to talk about here. I think there's a reason for all that. So I'm going to No, I do too. And I'm with you hundred percent. So the, the thing, you know, we talk about the Academy Awards and, and Brad's carrying the chip on his shoulder because Goodfellas didn't win. It's a right, it's a righteous chip. I'm, uh, I mean, I'm on board with that chip. I guess. I mean, to me, it's like, they're both awesome. I mean, 99, 19, they are. Yeah. I mean, the best picture means nothing to me. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone about dances with wolves? Oh, I agree. Never. No one has ever talked about dances with wolves, but, that, but you have a conversation about Goodfellas because it's timeless. Yeah, but I'm I'm with Sammy on this one. Like, how how did Kevin Costner win Worst Actor when that year you had Leslie Nielsen playing Mr. Magoo, and and how did he win Worst Director when Stanley Tong directed Mr. Magoo? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, I'm sure there was other films that were worse too. But I mean, the Razzies are they're kind of a pop cultural thing, right? I mean, you guys have talked about it before. Yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Man, you're just like, coming after Mr. Magoo. Jesus. Yeah. Have you seen but, Mr. Magoo? No. Why would I see Mr. Magoo? Yeah, don't ever see Mr. Yeah. Magoo. It is so bad. I don't even know why I watched it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I know why, why I watched it because Stanley Tong directed it, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be like Rumble in the Bronx with Leslie Nielsen. It is nothing oh. like Rumble in the Bronx with Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> no, it is not that. Uh, that was my fault. Okay. I'm. I've been dying... To uh, this was a hard one to squeeze in. I'm, my schedule has just been nuts. Obviously, we've got an episode of Cowboy Bebop in the can that I haven't gotten around to edit yet because my my work schedule has been nuts. But we ha we all had to dedicate three hours. It will, it will be reflected in your performance evaluation. Okay, I apologize. Okay. Um, yeah. So just real quick before you get into thoughts on the film, uh, did did anybody split this up or did you watch it as one three hour chunk? No, I had to split it up. 
You split it up into two sittings or three? Yeah, or? about an hour and a half and an hour and a half. Yes. Okay. How about you, uh, Sammy? I did, I did two hours and then I went back and did the last hour. Okay. I watched it start to finish. So, yeah, I was now the first time. The first time I saw it, I watched it start to finish. Yeah. So I remember that experience vividly. So and and the reason why I always ask it for these big epic movies um, and maybe before we go into that, do you guys think that ever alters your thoughts on it? And, And I'm thinking about it from this perspective. Like I always worry about chunking a movie up like TV shows. I like the fact that we're doing Cowboy Bebop, you know, two episodes per week and letting it sit. But with a film, especially with a, a letting it letting it sit some more. Well, <laughs> sorry. I, I, yeah, no, no. but gotcha. I, I, I get I get worried about whatever I don't know is being established from a character arc or emotional beat or something of that nature. If I don't continue watching it and see that resolution, it loses effect on me. Do you do you guys have that same worry or does it not matter? I can see where you say that, but I think you just have to be mindful of that and kind of when you, when you start it back up, get back in that mindset. I, I was very cognizant to kind of get back into that place and let myself kind of go back to where I was. You can definitely, that's been a problem before. Um, but I think if you're mindful and, and you know, that is a problem and you just kind of get back in that place to where you were, it wasn't like I waited days between it was, a Friday night and then a Saturday night. So it was, you know, back to back. So I could kind of get back into the flow of things pretty easily. And I find if I kind of go back and maybe rewatch the last 10 to 15 minutes, it'll kind of get me back up to speed. Like, Oh, I've seen this. I know where I was when watching this. So okay. that was me. Now I hardly ever, uh, if I haven't seen a film, I hardly ever break it up. Uh, mostly, usually requisition that time. Now, obviously things come up, you know, we're all parents. So things come up and sometimes you have to hit pause and sometimes pause turns into stop. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It just depends on how volatile the situation might be. Oh, the Blu-ray player turned off. Sometimes that happens. (laughs) I guess I paused it too long. Yeah. um, But if it's a film I haven't seen, I tend to try to allocate those hours and, and do it because, you know, I would assume most filmmakers want you to experience it that way. So I try to do it that way. If I've seen it before, I'll break it up. And it's like a book at that point to me. It's like something I can walk away from. I can come back. I can walk away from and come back. It doesn't really affect me. And I still get emotionally drawn into films. It doesn't hurt me um, as much. I, I, I wouldn't say that it deters me in any way. But I try to always watch a film for the first time. I try to always watch it in one setting. Okay. All right. Well, I want to start with you, Brad. Uh, Sammy's seen this, and so I am very curious about his thoughts on a rewatch. But you and I walked into this blind. It was my pick for this week. And uh, where where did you land on your experience with the Postman? Ride, Postman, ride. Yeah. Boy, this is a daunting task to, to sit through this movie. It's an hour. It's 177 minutes, so uh-huh. it is right at three hours. Um, you know, I, I do like long movies. Uh, Dune is a long movie. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 is a long movie. There's long movies that I really enjoy. And this one is not one of those. This one, <laughs> this is a, whoo, boy, this is a stinker. This one just never feels like it put its foot on the gas. I just, boy, it takes him an hour to become the postman. Um, and then I'm like, well, why is he 
do we, why is he lying to everybody? Like having a, the, your lead character lie and be, I don't, I think that was a weird choice. Um, I just don't know if Kevin Costner is good in this movie either. Like usually when you have a leader or someone who is like getting people to rally around him and, you know, even if he's reluctant in this movie, there's something about them that makes people be drawn to them. Um, and I know like when we were talking about Kevin Costner, you're like, oh, you know, he's got this thing about him that I, I like in movies. This one is completely absent. Like it, there's, there's nothing about this yeah. character of the postman that I feel like, oh, no wonder these people r- rallied around this guy. He's got X, he's got Y. No, that's completely absent in this movie. Um, there, there is literally nothing exciting in this movie. The uh, the fight scene at the end is literally two old men rolling around on the ground. You're like, <laughs> why don't we just have a slap fight? That might be more exciting. Uh, it, but it was a, a slow motion rolling on the ground with dramatic uh, music, Brad. Yeah. There's have a good... It does have a good payoff, the fight scene. The fight scene's terrible. I agree. Yeah. The payoff Tom, the fight scene, you know, I like. There's Tom Petty in this movie for some reason, and you're like, okay, this complete. Oh. And, and, and then there, it raises questions. It's like, why does the postman know that this world existed before, but it seems like no one else does, but they're all kind of still the same age? Uh, why, do, why, why does Bethlehem not know who he is when he literally saw him and he was in his group for a while look like if shit he, okay he had a goatee yeah. so, before okay. and when he shaved the look would you recognize now sammy no so full sammy beard. has a beard yeah if, if i saw sammy that, without facial hair i would know that sammy yeah if you I, I shaved i probably wouldn't recognize you <sighs> yeah no i'd be a little unrecognizable first but then i'd open my mouth and you'd be like oh yeah i think i think <laughs> i'd be like oh that's sammy like there's just, well, that's, there's just, well, that's just the thing right Let's just be honest. If if you don't recognize somebody, that's fine. But when he starts talking, yeah, like oh, that Shakespeare has a unique voice. (laughs) If if I'm as smart as Bethlehem, and he's clearly one of the smartest characters in this universe, yeah, he because he will pontificate upon pontificate in this. There is so much pontification in this movie; it is nausea. He is insufferable, but the performance (laughs) is great. The yeah. character is insufferable. I mean, he's so smart. He paints and he's built a drive-in and a rock quarry. Yes. That is a genius. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he would recognize Costner the minute he opens his mouth. Maybe he wouldn't recognize his face. But look, he was certainly everybody has a blind spot. Okay. okay. <laughs> everybody and has so, a blind spot. <laughs> and so the scene, and now this is the, the literally the end of the movie. Um, the scene that really kind of hammered this home for me is, is how, how the screenplay is has no faith in how smart the audience is the there's a part where he's riding a horse and he comes back and gets a letter from a kid who is standing in this way and he's at the end of the movie they literally have to have that kid come back and say that was me and then they flash back and show you what's happened they couldn't like do that through like you know like hey we're going to edit this together to where the audience knows this guy was this kid but then i started thinking like if that guy didn't know that was going to be a statue of him, then why was he even there? And I'm like, okay, this hurts my head. I can't do this anymore, but this movie sucks. This movie sucks. And it's three hours sucks too. <laughs> like I'm cool with like a 90 minute sucky movie, but this one was two times as long. And I was like, I text Troy. I usually don't give my, 
I'm like, I'm never going to forgive you for this movie. Cause yeah. I got a lot of those three last hours yeah. of <laughs> literally nothing. And then there's 20 minutes of Tom Petty. And then there's two old May, men Mayor Tom Petty. If you did if, get it right, it's Mayor Tom I'm Petty. Sorry, yeah. sorry. And then there's two old men rolling around on the ground, and then there's a little girl at the end, 30 years later, and you're like, "Oh, society's all better, yay!" And sucks, sucks. <laughs> Next. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Okay, Sammy. Yeah. Um, you you sat well, down in six hours, man. You put six hours into this Kevin Costner world. Yeah, I'm yeah. Curious how you're. I put more time in this movie than the so, people who worked on it. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> first time I saw this, uh, I kind of enjoyed it, but I, I I think that one of the reasons why I did is I think I was in the mood at the time. First of all, I got the DVD cheap. Uh, second of all, I was I it, I was pretty new to DVD at that point. Ninety seven. That was probably pretty. I was probably pretty new to DVD at that point. I remember the first. You guys remember the first DVD book? Yeah, Fight Club. Uh, yeah. I, I was going to say it had to be Fight. Yeah, it was Fight Club or the game. I, I just remember the keepsake DVDs. Yeah, yeah, the so, brown. Yeah. The I had the one the the Fight Club that had the brown case. Oh, I'm I'm thinking about the snap the, the snap cases. So it was oh, like yeah, cardboard yeah. with snap, and then there would be like widescreen on one side and then full screen on the other. Yeah, yeah I had the my Goodfellas was like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I bought a player and two movies. Uh, for probably about 400 bucks as long. And this is a long time ago. So that was a lot of money. And, uh, I bought Austin powers, man of mystery or whatever man of an international man of mystery yeah. and blazing saddles, oh. <laughs> which, uh, I Thank never you. had seen a copy of blazing saddles. It looked so amazing. I would show it to everybody. <laughs> and then everybody would look at me like I was crazy because they were dropping the N word left and right. Uh, you're like movies will never look better than this. <laughs> <laughs> I know I said that on my 36 inch pro scan. I know that I it's not going to sound better. It's 480 look better, progressive. Look yeah. at this. CAV was great on LaserDisc, but look at this pause. Look at this freeze frame. Yep. This is insane. You can see what's in their teeth. The menus This chapter is called the N-word. <laughs> yeah. So I, I threw in the Postman. I watched it. It came in a keepsake case. The original DVD did. I can remember that. And um, I threw it in and watched it. And I was, I mean, it wasn't Dances with Wolves, but I was like, ah, it wasn't that bad. I, I tell you this, rewatching it, I like the first hour of this movie. I don't mind the first hour so much. I like the relationship between him and Bill the Mule. I like uh, him kind of wandering around alone. I, I like when Bethlehem gets a hold of him. I like him performing the Shakespeare badly. I like the Shakespeare's Shakespeare off that they have. It's kind of goofy and fun. I like the rock quarry a lot. That's probably my favorite sequence of the whole movie is really the way he's created this kind of castle out of this rock quarry and stuff and kind of the ingenuity of that it. you so, never see again yeah you never see it again they just throw it away but i mean you get to see the searchers and you get to see uh sound of music and i feel like was there one other film no, i thought it, i thought it was Ty universal soldier no it was uh wasn't the was searchers it was uh john wayne's yellow oh, gosh what's oh that? she wore really yeah she yeah, wore yellow ribbon yeah, yeah yeah my bad sorry yeah. um you are correct uh How but yeah, there was those three films, and I kind of like that. That was kind of like a nice little homage. I don't think that has anything to do with the movie because, you know, like you said, they throw Universal Soldier on. I think people get upset when they yeah they, they get mad. Then they change they get it all to upset. Music. But yeah. who was who doesn't want to watch Universal Soldier? Like I, I can't get behind this movie yeah. booing Universal Soldier. What, <laughs> what is this anyway? Um, I liked all that sequence, even though I don't like Giovanni Ribisi that much in this movie because he's playing this. Uh, 
Weasel. malformed, strange, mentally stunted character, to put it politely, mm -hmm. with bad teeth. Uh, I did like the relationship, though, with Costner and the uh, African-American actor, or the, potentially the mixed African-American actor, Caucasian. Mm -hmm. I can't remember that actor's name, but I did like their relationship. And I liked the what I think is almost needless cruelty of that first hour. Uh, Build a Mule becomes food. Uh, and both of those actors that is talked about, are, are we, I guess we're talking spoilers. Cause oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you haven't seen this movie, I'm sorry. I don't usually talk them, but I'm, I'll talk them right now. Um, those two actors being wiped out. Yeah. Uh, I found, I found all of that great, but then he becomes the postman. <laughs> and although I like the principle and the idea behind what this movie is trying to stand for, I wonder if patriotism and the ugliness of patriotism, and this is one of those moments where, and I, I'm not trying to get too deep here. I swear I'm not. I, I don't go into movies thinking this way, but I wonder if sort of the ugliness of patriotism we've seen over the last five to 10 years, if it didn't color my viewing of this a little bit, um, because there's this almost stout American society we're so great patriotism here. And it really started to kind of grind my, grind my gears quite a bit. It really did. It started to get on my nerves. Now, I, I, look, I'm an American person. You know, I vote. I do everything. I, I consider myself somewhat of a patriot. Um, I like Mel Gibson's The Patriot. Um, <laughs> but for whatever reason, this movie becomes too earnest for its own good. And it really, for me, grinds to a halt. And the problem is, is it grinds to a halt about halfway through a three-hour movie. <laughs> and that is a problem. Um, I really like that first hour, maybe that first 75 minutes. But once, even up to when he finds the postman in the car, I like that. Because essentially what his character is, he's a grifter, right? Yeah. He's just a grifter or an actor, or a con man. He's trying to make do on what he does. And he's not a good character. Like Brad said, he's not a good person. So, you know, you're like, eh. but then you meet Bethlehem, who's so bad that all of a sudden this Costner character seems like uh, an angel in comparison. And uh, that's how they kind of redirect your feelings toward him. But the problem is, is that when you redirect him, you still re redirect him being a grifter again. And he's still being a con man. And he's still giving people hope. And I don't think there's anything wrong with giving people hope in this story. I just think the way they handle it is, I don't know, man. It's kind of lame. Does that, does that make sense? I mean, it yeah, just, I thought that I thought that it, the whole time. It's like a rubber chicken. It's like, you know, it's funny the first time you see it, but man, quit pulling the rubber chicken out. You know, I mean, it just, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I, I found myself like I didn't buy the Olivia Williams thing uh, at first. Uh, we do get some nudity from Olivia Williams, which is nice. Sorry for anybody <laughs> listening who doesn't like those kind of things, but I enjoy those kind of things. Um, I find her to be an attractive woman. So we get that. Um, this is going to sound stupid. And I realize it as I say it out loud, but I have a real problem with the fact that he opens other people's mail and reads it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> he's he's violating like the one way. oath of the postman, right? <laughs> Going through people's <laughs> mail. <laughs> You're not supposed to be knowing these things, dude. Um, it's private. Yeah, yeah. But then I think to myself, maybe that's the point of this story. It's a post-apocalyptic world. He's 
supposed to be this, you know, bringer of hope, this uh, the chosen one, whatever you want to call it, because that's essentially what the story is, right? And he's going to bring society back from the brink of whatever it lost. We're never really told, I think. Were we told what it's happened? It's a war. Oh, yeah, there was a war. Yeah, there was a war. There was a po- you know, yeah. There was like a three-year winter or something like that, uh-huh. too. It, 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 they, without spelling it out, it comes down to like this global war with nuclear fallout. Um, and, you know, th- there's no rain. And all of a sudden, the rain starts coming. So they're hinting well, at it. Maybe it was a three-year rain or something yeah, like it, that. It, there's something, yeah. It's not, yeah. It's not very specific. It's, movie it's la- sprinkled <laughs> through like there. But you years. get the whole like, yeah, the Mad Max thing <laughs> happened, right? Yeah. And it looks like it's shot mostly in the Pacific Northwest, somewhere up there, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would make some sense. And I think it is, too. I think it's shot. Well, Oregon, I think state. Oregon is one Oregon, of the states. Washington yeah. State, yeah. And uh, it's very beautiful. I mean, you can say a lot of bad things, maybe about the script and maybe some of the acting and stuff. I don't think Costner's that bad in the movie. I don't think he's great, but I think he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do in the movie. I don't think the movie's badly directed. I think the movie is badly put together on the back end. I think that you could cut almost 40 minutes out of this thing and still get to where you need to go. With Do you need story. the first hour of this movie? I mean, that's my favorite hour, so I, yeah. I kind of think you do, actually. Like, I, 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 I don't think you need the Bridge City stuff. That's me. I, I know it's called The Postman, and I know we rely heavily on the, the Postal Service at that point, but it's not interesting. Yeah. It's just not. I like Lorenz Tate's character, and I like his gumption and his belief and his faith. But I don't like how it's handled in the movie. It just kind of comes off kind of lame. And that's the thing I came away from. And I was kind of surprised at how distasteful I found the back end of the movie. And I don't know if that's a societal kind of over, you know, kind of what we're kind of going through in America right now. Um, I See, I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because I don't know. I, I struggle with this one. If I were watching this in 1997, that back half of the film would have been too pedestrian for my taste. And I was doing some research, and apparently what had happened is that the screenplay that was written, I don't know which screen uh, writer had penned it to begin with, but they had a much darker version. And when Kevin Costner came on board, he wanted to write it closer to the book. So I think there was a little bit of a darker tale being told from it and Costner and the author, the original author come through and say, okay, let's bring back some of that earnestness that apparently is in the novel. Yeah. However, I would agree with you that the back end has a little bit of an identity crisis. It wants to be earnest, but at the same time, and again, I can't figure out if it's because of the current political climate of, like you said, in the last few years, um, and I'm reading into it or if it was actually intentionally there, mm-hmm. I don't think it's as earnest as it is saying on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it left, um, uh, it left a bad taste in my mouth. It really did the back end of the movie. I don't know why. Uh, and I liked that the first time around, I liked how kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, we kind of talked about, I talked about Gary Cooper. I liked how kind of Gary Cooper American movie it was. I liked how kind of optimistic it felt first time I saw it. I remember thinking that. And I remember telling people that. And they were like, you're so stupid. But I remember telling people, and this was back in the day when I had nobody to talk about movies with. So yeah. I was talking to myself a lot. Um, 
And people wouldn't watch it because it was three hours long. And, and he had been coming off of Waterworld, which was a bomb. And so everybody in my group thought, Costner's done. He's gone. So they weren't going to even spend any time watching the postman, which we should say that probably has a lot to do with the box office of this movie, too. Right. I mean, he's coming off a major dud that every magazine, and there, I don't think there was any internet at the time, but every magazine and uh, trade paper was covering the awfulness that was Waterworld behind the scenes. And not only just the fact that it was a bad shoot, but the fact that Kevin Costner was an irate bully the whole time because he had won an, he had won an Oscars director and he's got his best buddy, Kevin Reynolds there, who he's worked with time and again over the years. And he's just picking on him the whole time in front of everybody. Uh, you know, the, all Water, that stuff. Waterworld's a better movie. Than, I'd much rather watch Waterworld than this. Waterworld's a, it's, Waterworld's it's a better a, movie than this. It's a yeah. much more fun movie. Yeah. But Waterworld knows what it is. Yeah. I think Troy said it. But I don't think, I don't know if this movie knows what it is. I think at some point he loses track. I think Dances with Wolves knows what it is. Yeah. I think Open Range knows what it is. Mm-hmm. But Costner, this is, in my opinion, an out of control vanity project. It's a little bit of a vanity project that he got, it got, it got away from him. I, 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 I agree saw- with that. Or I, I also think that there's two different messages going on. And again, I'll give you an example. So there is the romantic love interest that starts to develop through the story. Mm-hmm. And Costner is kind of interjecting himself because of events that happen. But then there's a line during an exchange when they're in the cabin where she basically says, hey, my husband used to beat me because he couldn't perform, et cetera, et cetera. So that, I, thought you, I thought that was because of Bethlehem. I thought she was talking about Bethlehem there. No. He she, didn't rape her. He She was talking about Bethlehem because she was captive with Bethlehem. I thought that was Bethlehem. No, was I think about. he. she was talking about her husband who okay. basically couldn't perform, and so he would get angry and beat her. But he, you know – up until that point, you get the fact that the husband was just this great guy, and yeah. uh, a cuckold, a cuckold, yeah. But they had this great relationship, and and you're you like had those moms, man. Hey, Costner, yeah. what what are you doing here? Right, you're you're moving in on the widow, but then she comes back with that line, and it just kind of sits out there, and it and it just feels like that got put in for some reason to justify where the story's going. Yeah, that's called the Dominic Toretto. And yeah. let me explain that. Yeah. To, well, the, yeah. It's to make Costner look good, right? I mean, yeah. to change that character. It, it does. Yeah, so Do- Dominic Shredo in the first movie, they basically say, oh, this guy beat this guy up because he killed his dad <laughs> on the racetrack with the wrench. You know, he almost build- killed him with a wrench. And then by the part you, you get to like five or six, it's like, well, the guy was actually, you know, like a pedophile and he was killing nuns yeah. and all the Like they had to like sub – like to make Dominic a better guy, they had to justify what he did there because he knew that guy was, you know, selling drugs to kids and like so that you know they made this guy into a bad guy. They do that in this movie, and you're like, but it it feels out of place compared falls, to where it's okay. The, you can fall in love with a woman like well, it's it's not even that and, it 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 does not make sense to where they were taking the Costner character through the entire film. So yeah. I I don't think you're meant to really get behind the Costner character. In fact, I think the the Costner character and the Will Patton character are the exact same person. They're just coming at it from two, di- two different angles. I, I think there's a duality going on between those two characters. And when you get to the end of it, when they're having their, their tussle, 
And Patton goes, look, the, the reason why I know I'm going to win is because you don't believe in anything. And Costner says, well, I believe in the United States. 1997 Troy would have been like, ah, oh, that, that's kind of really patriotic. Like 2021 Troy goes, oh, well, dude, you're going to end up just like him then if you're believing in the United States in 2021. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah. I, I feel like the back half of that movie kind of hints at that, but never commits to it. And there's a little bit of a darker side to it. But again, I can't decide if that's me putting that in there with with like me bringing my own paradigms and everything to the viewing experience mm-hmm. or if that was actually intentional and they just couldn't kind of stick the landing on where to go with this thing. I think with that whole statue and everything else, they're going for a very earnest patriotic sort of film. But I almost think it works a little bit better now than maybe 1997 because that earnestness and what Kevin Costner is doing gets him closer and closer to Will Patton's character, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I So that cabin scene, to me, all of that could be removed and the movie would still move along fine. It's not that I don't like the interaction between him and Olivia Williams. I just don't think you need any of it. Oh, where he gets shot and she has to like get him back. I don't think you need it, but I think it's interesting because it shows this side of him that he's just not a good guy. He's kind of lazy. He's a coward and he doesn't, he doesn't want to go out into the world and do anything. Yeah, he's a like, nerd. We kind of already know that. I mean, he's a nomad, yeah. and like we kind of already knew all that stuff. Yeah, so we're but, not learning anything new about the character. But it's interesting he, with her because you think that he's going to fight for her and do like the traditional, you know, white hat kind of stuff. He doesn't. He's he's like, oh, I can't, I yeah. can't even get get my soup. I can't walk. Can you take care? I mean, he's an <laughs> ass through that whole thing, and you're like, wow, that's that's kind of bold. Him. Yeah, I need some meat, and then she shoots the horse. Yeah, it's like you, Jesus you, Christ. I guess, I guess, in your time of need, you'd eat that horse, right? You'd eat that horse. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I I don't, would, ever, I don't ever want to be faced with that decision. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm from Lexington, man. Our horses know, are treated like kings. Here's what so. I'll say: I'll know that uh, if I'm stuck in a cabin with Olivia Williams, I know what I will be eating. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what's good? <laughs> you know how you keep, you know how you cure hypothermia too? You get. Hey, body yeah. heat's yeah. really good. Right. I, I, will, I will say this. He was injured. Well, yeah. well I'm sure his. So yeah. I, I will say this, and I am not like, I don't consider myself like super patriotic or anything like that. But when they burned the American flag, I did have kind of a reaction. Like it did, yeah. like that was the one time in this movie I was like, oh, that's a little trouble. Like I, seeing that, like, I didn't think that it would bother me, but like as soon as I started burning the flag, I was like, "Oh, oh boy!" Yeah, That's I don't think get me a little bit. I don't think there's anything wrong with the message the movie's delivering. I just think it's the way it's delivered that bothers me. I just it just feels like it takes forever to deliver that message, and I just don't feel like it needs to take it, that long. There are so many montages in this movie. I mean, I was expecting you know Rocky and Apollo Creed to be running on the beach at some point. There were so many montages going on, people riding horses and delivering mail. And you can't win. <laughs> Listen, there, and, and here's what's interesting to me is, I so you say that you 100 percent think you know what the message is. I, I don't know if it was as clear to me <laughs> as pure. You know, maybe it is because of that last sequence. But there are parts of this film. So I'll give you my two cents real quick. So um, I did like the inherent concept of the whole film. 
the post-apocalyptic film with an unlikely hero who's sort of conning his way into these settlements. And then through the course of his journey, he sort of ends up trying to establish foundations of society, right? So conceptually, the the good guy and the bad guy aren't very different. They're just trying to get to, you know, their version of society in different ways. Um, they're just, again, they're just going about it through different means. Um, and the core of the story to me is super interesting because it's not your typical Mad Max ripoff. And I love the fact that the hero is um, almost the the copy of the bad guy, but he just has these different flaws. I mean, you you really can't get behind Kevin Costner's character through most of the film because some of the choices he makes, and and I kind of appreciate that. Here, here's the other thing: in a three hour film, watching it start to finish. At some point, if I'm having coffee or whatever, I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom, and I can always tell. If I'm interested in something, if I go, well, I'm going to let it play. So for the few minutes, I'm going to go around the corner and go to the bathroom and come back. This is just me burning the three hours, right? I put that sucker on pause because I wanted to know what was going to happen next. So I'll give the film credit is that what it was doing, I was along for the ride and wanted to see every minute of the three hours. So I'll, I'll give that one a plus. Yeah. But I wonder if that's because the stakes are so high. Because, again, I think in that first part of the story, things happen that are twists that you don't expect. They introduce characters that you think are going to be there. And this is 1997. This isn't 2007 where that happens more common. Like TV nowadays thrives off of killing characters off. But um, I, I can still remember the first time I saw this thinking, okay, well, everything's on the table in this movie. Yeah. Because uh, they're taking out, you know, name actors, people he's creating bonds with. They're taking them out. Yeah. And so stuff happens I, and you don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. So I think that that's probably the case. And uh, I'm in total agreement with you, by the way. Uh, if I, Especially if I'm at a movie and it's like two hours, 45 minutes, two hours, 50 minutes, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, I will suffer. My bladder will suffer as far as I can go if the movie's good. Yeah, if the movie's not good. I know immediately, and I never even reached the point of suffering. I'll go to the bathroom multiple times. Yeah. Three guy, I went to the bathroom twice. Yeah, I, I and and to me, that's I hate saying this. There's like a there's a two test. One, does my butt hurt? Um, and if it starts getting uncomfortable, I'm like, ooh, I'm not enjoying this because I'm thinking about my butt. And then the other one is, can I hold it or can I not? And um, but okay, that's yeah. so. I I do want to I do want to share. You, you've talked about some of the other things, that, kind of what I've talked about. Let's hear what you think about it from the beginning. Let's hear what you think about the whole tamale. I, I It surprised me. I'll say this. I enjoyed the world building. The, the three hours, I didn't think it was slow. Only now, it's a slow film, but I was engaged for the three hours. And, and Brad's right. There's not a ton of action. There's a lot of these slow motion sequences that are supposed to kind of build momentum for that beat of the story. Um, but I'll say this. I mean, if it, it, it would pass my butt and bathroom test and, and I was in it for the full three hours, right? The mm. things that surprised me that I thought worked really well was that Kevin Costner's character is not, uh, <laughs> he's, he's not coloring with a full box of crayons. I mean, from the start of the film and I even think <laughs> till the finish of it. His isolation has driven him kind of a bit insane. 
And mm-hmm. at times he, he becomes unsane for, you know, the romantic parts of the film or to make him look good. But I like the fact that um, he keeps up that character trait for most of the film and that, I don't know, craziness about him or unpredictability and sort of that, you know, survival instinct. It's, it's there throughout most of the film. I like that he committed to that aspect of it. Um, I also like that Kevin Costner's uh, character is a coward throughout the entire film up until a point. And I believe for the most part, his story arc of him turning into a hero because he, he really has to get there. And I enjoyed that journey of it. I think the concept of this whole communication being sort of the core, I don't know, piece of a civilization and how badly people need structure. I found that interesting. Like I would have never thought like delivering mail or the post office. And that sounds corny, but that idea of just having a mundane structure, all of a sudden being hope and inspiration for people getting out of an apocalypse. I like that concept. And I found that interesting. Yeah, that, that, that is the interesting part of it because structure is what society's based on, right? Yes, absolutely. Every, every day we rely on things that we don't even think we rely on. Yep. And, and again, part of Costner's performance, um, we'll talk about what I don't like about it, but I like when he's being a coward, when he's being a bit insane, he is showing those aspects of um, the Will Patton character, which I, I agree with you. Will Patton's the best character in the film, the best actor. Um, he is hamming it up and I like it and I think it works and I think it works in conjunction with Costner now. So that that's the stuff where I go, wow, I'm, I'm really surprised what they're doing here. I did not expect that. Um, and maybe I'm just thinking it's going to be like another dances with wolves, but in the apocalypse, it's not that this, I did not expect where this film went. Now the stuff that's bonkers, first of all, is the dialogue. There is dialogue in here. Um, case in point, uh, when, when he tells the Lorenzo character, like only another postman can make you a postman. And then he responds kind of like a vampire, right? <laughs> I mean, that's like solar babies dialogue right there. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> and we talked about some of the cheesy, you pass out, you pass out hope like it's candy in your pocket or something like yeah, that. There, there's a lot of those lines that I believe in the United States. Um, and then the other, the other one, which I'm telling you right now, I did a double take when Abby walks up to him and is like, so as far as you know, you have good semen, right? I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> Tell me about your swimmers. Yeah. And, uh, all of a sudden that aspect of the film, I did not see <laughs> coming. My husband. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> and, um, and, and in my head, I'm like, I don't know if you want his semen because I think there's going to be a genetic disposition to like mental illness because this guy's cuckoo. <laughs> um, but I, I didn't I did not expect that romantic aspect of the film where it started and where it went. I think it's totally bonkers. Um, we talked about some of the insane plot points. The fact that the general doesn't recognize Kevin Costner at all just for shaving that um, she didn't see the, the burnt or whatever ate on his arm while they're doing yeah. the deed. But then all of a sudden she recognizes it when she's taking care of him in the cabin. So I don't, yeah. I don't enjoy those. Like it, it he really that is shirt very cleanly. Yeah. When he uh, shows it off, you're like that, that really is like poor script writing. When you see those plot devices kind of pop out for no reason, they, they just don't make sense. Um, 
And yeah. did you, was Costner calling out like a Robin Hood um, thing when he was threatening her with the spoon? Was that what that was intended for? When she's got the razor to his knife and he's like, oh, I'm going to use the spoon. I'm like, did you just reference Robin Hood? Which I have, if he did, I thought that was, was funny. Still in. Um, uh, his, so Costner's acting is good when he's not trying to do comedy in this film. When he's trying to do comedy, it comes off like a really bad dad joke. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, comedy's <laughs> not really his forte. He's kind of he's usually as good as the foil to the funny actor. Yeah, the straight the straight man, so to speak. That's when he is funny. Yeah, and and I don't know. I can't. I can't. Here's here's what I'm I'm having trouble with. I can't decide if this is a interesting film that has this underlying interesting message. That says, well, here's this guy starting up the post office trying to get structure going within the society versus a guy who's creating like this legion and and this army that's trying to control society with terror and everything else where they're kind of the same person. They're quoting Shakespeare. They're they're both a little insane, etc. I can't decide if this is kind of a smart film that's tapping into all these different themes or if it's a Kevin Costner vanity project that happens to stumble over certain things. And the fact that you're watching it in 2021 gives you a little bit more meat and context to the story versus what it was intentionally trying to do in 1997. Does any of that make sense? Yeah. Cause no. I, I actually wrote down some points that I wanted to ask you guys because I, I thought looking at it through a 2021 lens probably added something. Do you want, can I ask those now? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. This is movie anti-science because there's Ooh. a line in this where she said, he goes, we landed on the moon. And she goes, well, what does that do us now? Or something like that. And I was like, if you look at it, like, yeah, you're right. Like the society basically crumbled. Science doesn't matter. Right. Well, right? that wasn't that one guy, a scientist who designed a space station that's floating around yeah. or something. And all he does now is sit there and listen to the radio and smoke. Like, weed. You know, to listen yeah. For the, yeah. And smoke weed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is this movie pro gun? Uh, Absolutely pro gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in 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 reality, let's say that most American films are pro gun. Yeah, yeah. But this one is like that moment where you you realize, oh, like, well, we have to keep the government under, you know, the, the tyrannical government under control, so we have to, you know, bear arms, or whatever. Like, this is that yeah. movie. Um, mm-hmm. And then anti male. I mean, we went through something where we basically had a, an administration that made, you know, the U S mail, like a part of like the political zeitgeist for no reason. And to vote through the mail was like this huge deal. And, um, yeah, that's an interesting element there that the mail, that whole thing that went down just a year ago and this movie, I, I mean, this is what I love about uh, our film books, everything though, because everything colors are, you know, enjoyment of things yeah uh, good or bad um i can distance myself from both even though i don't care for the message so much in this movie i, I, I still don't see it as uh, not it's not a pro-trump movie or anything i wouldn't say something like that it's just i think that it's interesting some of the things that have transpired in our real world and how this movie kind of relates to that it's kind of fascinating in a weird way oh i agree well, it, that, that it whole- makes you think like were were there these signs that people who are making movies saw or like, like what was it? Or did they just, 
have these sweeping sort of ideals and they just got lucky and we watched this movie and we're like, oh, well, you know, maybe they got some things right and they got some things wrong, but we just noticed what they got right. You know, again, the comment that the thing that I find fascinating is this whole communication is like the core concept of your civilization and reestablishing that communication is so important and that most of the communication in this film is false. It's all made up. So which is fake news. It's that's all the fake news, right? So now we we have the ability to communicate with. (laughs) an unlimited amount of people. And we see what that has done to society. Exactly. And again, this, this goes to my concept was Kevin Costner making a film that was much smarter than everybody realized in 97, where he's basically saying, even in the apocalypse, when you, when you take away the technology and you have people who are trying to start up their society and then communication comes into play, the one thing that will always happen in communication is people will make it up and lie in order to, um, you know, further their agenda, right? So this this is what he's saying. It happens even when you start up the post office and the postmen are writing out there. They're delivering letters in between people to keep that connection going. But at the same time, you have these people in power who are trying to insert this fake news within that communication stream. And that's why I'm sitting here going, dude, is this like one of the most topical films to come out this year that I've watched? Or was this just an accident and I'm just putting this stuff on there? That's what I can't figure out. It is strangely topical. It really is. And and that's the experience I had with it. You know, I, it just, and it, it did remind me, you know, COVID, we have to talk about COVID with this movie too. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because there was a moment, I don't know if you guys had this moment, but there was a moment during the COVID crisis a year or so ago where I thought to myself, we are a really fragile society, the American society. Yes. We, we think we're really strong, but just a couple of things get out of whack. And all of a sudden everybody's buying tons of toilet paper. <laughs> People are doing it all. It wasn't even shit. 30 days. It was less yeah. than 30 days and, and everything remember, just like, collapsed. People were hoarding like hand sanitizer and selling it for hundreds of dollars. And you're yes. just like, yeah, what are we doing? We have literally gone to the lowest of lows in less than a month. Yeah. Uh, here's how far COVID drove me. I am, uh, I'm not a pro gun guy as far as owning one, uh, but I almost bought one. Yeah. That, that should say something right there, right? Yeah. No, hey, I have tons of people who actually um, <laughs> own guns and thought they needed more guns. And when they were sitting there talking about it and I'm sitting there going, wow, that this kind of makes sense in terms of yeah. I'm seeing some guy over here selling hand yeah. sanitizer for like a hundred dollars per 12 ounces. Um, what, what happens when you can't get hand sanitizer anymore? Then. Yeah. I mean, and, and just that whole, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I agree with you hundred percent. And again, COVID it's just the, it's the fragility of, the, yeah. Of and the then the, like the supply chain, how fragile the supply chain is. And I mean, there's yeah, a million still, reasons it, for that. It still hasn't. Yeah. The supply yeah. chain still hasn't re- recovered and it won't recover. I can tell you that from experience, it won't recover for at least another year or so. Right. Well, well, we've we've also got to the point where our supply chain is so efficient that if you literally take out one part of it, it will break. Uh, yeah. Whatever. This isn't supply chain one on one, but anyway, yes, I, I get it. I get it. Like, it, yeah. But here's yeah, the yeah, other this, thing that that's, I did not expect. I did not expect the postman to make me think about all this stuff. I, I know. I, and here's I, the other, but I had ample time to think about it because nothing happens in this goddamn movie. <laughs> but, so but I could think about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Here's the other thing that struck me as odd is all these things that I'm writing down or thinking about to Sammy's point or even your point. 
I'm like, well, I didn't think about this crap when I saw the road warrior. I, I mean, all these apocalypse yeah. films yeah. that I'm watching, I'm like, there's a visceral experience. It's action adventure. And I'll give the postman credit for this watching this play out and how it plays out with these characters and where it goes. I'm sitting there going, Oh my gosh, it, it, to your point, Sammy, it did make me think more about the stuff that's happened in the last couple of years where I can't remember yeah. the other post-apocalyptic film made me do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it has enough gaps to where it, you can kind of start filling it in yourself. It's like you're, <laughs> choose your own adventure yeah. postman. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I mean, it does give you time to think things through. Yes. Definitely give you plenty of time. But yeah, I mean, I can't think of another one either. I mean, uh, Road Warrior is the first one I think about where I think of gasoline and if gasoline was short across the, uh, around the world could that possibly potentially lead to an apocalypse i guess I mean, there, was, there a was a time where we thought yeah. even during covid that like oh we're not gonna have gas and oh you know, i remember we that. saw people yeah. lining up and then remember people you were trying those, to fill trash bags yeah they're dumbasses like with like their hamper baskets like, what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing yeah 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 people were filling yeah. trash cans with gasoline and yeah, then strapping like, them down the back of their truck. Yeah, they're taking them home. You're just like, okay, that's okay. Good job. That, that, I mean, that is true. That's a good point. I mean, uh, obviously, our natural resources and stuff, the fear of those going away, that would lead to that kind of behavior. So maybe, I don't know, maybe Costner is in some way making some kind of comment here. And uh, maybe he was ahead of him, us at the time. Um, I, I will say that I think the film is very aware, though, that structure is what our civilization is based on. And the reason we are so civilized is because of structure. Yeah. Uh, we had no structure. Then uh, we'd just be a bunch of animals like uh, Mad Max, like uh, Australia in the 70s, <laughs> where we all thought that, you know, everybody drove cars crazy and just, uh, you know, wore mohawks and stuff. <laughs> but that, that's why that Will Patton character kind of works is because he's not that much different from this no name Costner character, Shakespeare or whatever, you know, they refer him to. He's applying yeah. structure to the society. It's just very brutal structure, but he understands that same mechanics that Costner's character kind of stumbles on. But again, yeah. what I find it fascinating is Costner's character stumbles on it, starts to realize it right towards the end of the film and all of the inspiration that he's creating, it's all by accident and it's from a con. And I, I love the fact that Abby's like, yeah, I kind of knew <laughs> this wasn't, you know, really what was going on that you probably made most of the stuff up, but she understands the value of it and kind of pushes him to keep going with it. Well, so, well, Bethlehem also has a, a line about, he talks about Lords and vassals and things like that. And you know, he's a Lord, the other guy's a vassal and he can basically have the guy's wife if he, if he wants to. Yeah. And that was the kind of the system. Those in power want to stay in power. So if you see yourself as a Lord, um, you know, you're, you're the one in power. Um, mm -hmm. we see that now. I mean, people, we have people in our government that have been in there for seems like hundreds of years and it seems like it might be a little <laughs> too long. So yeah, just holding on to power, um, the little that you have and being able to take advantage of people who don't have power. Yeah. But Costner, I think even makes the comment towards the end that, you know, he, he tells Will's character, we're not different. You used to be a, what, a copy salesperson or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, he's running around doing Shakespeare. Yeah, they're so, both frauds. They, yeah. they both acknowledge that they're frauds. At the end of the yeah. film, you know, Costner is like, we're both frauds. You know, how's this going to end? Um, and so while it was a less dramatic ending in terms of two guys just running at each other at horses and then rolling around on the ground, 
I, I did, I think you said this, Sammy, I kind of like how it paid off. I, I like that back sequence of what it was going because once they come to realization that it's, okay, whose fraud's going to win? That's what it's yeah. all about. And that's the part well, of the film. You get the, real, you get the real natural vengeance too from yeah. the character that you probably, even though you don't even really know the character, but you feel like he deserves the vengeance more than anybody. Yeah. That's what we found out earlier that he had his tongue cut up and his balls removed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's... Well, that's another problem in this movie. I think there's way too many characters in this movie for that like never really have their moment. There's just a lot. There's a lot to keep up with. Um, yeah, it's an epic, but it's I just think it's a misguided. The most epic. least like so it's an epic, but like not epic at all. You know, and like in its scope and in grandeur, yes, it's epic, but nothing epic really ever happens. Yeah. I don't really feel like it does either. There's not an epic battle scene, really, is there? I mean, everybody kind of congregates for the the one-on-one mud fight. They have the one scene where they're all kind of going out on their routes, and they're in horses, and they're running across this field, and, like, there's this big, like, music. And that was, like, one of the scenes I was like, oh, this might work, and then... It's a montage. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> they're delivering mail, and you're like, "Oh yeah." But it makes that. sense in the in the sense of the story is that Costner is not a fighter. The whole idea of delivering the mail is, you know, don't get caught. You know, do go from town to town. They're not going up. There's an army, so they're they're not going to create an army to go against the army. And by the time they do that, even Costner realizes, "Oh, dude, we're gonna we're gonna lose." They got cannons and all that other stuff. So he does that little. Yeah. plot twist of look i got an eight on my arm so i can i can take the clan over right so um yeah i, I don't know i i'm with you it doesn't make for epic movie making but the the script choices make sense in the context of the world they built and what the people can or can't do within the world at least my perspective yeah. I, yeah. I mean i think it's a, i think it's an interesting failure yes that's the best. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yes. I think it's an interesting failure. I don't, I don't think it's a terrible movie. Like, I don't think it's. I certainly don't think it was the worst movie of 1997. I can tell you that. We already know. <laughs> we've joked about the movie. coming after you, Mister Magoo. Yeah, but there's I a mean, contender there. Was, there. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, there was worse movies in '97. Yeah. We just don't know what they are off the top of our head. But there was a definitely a an anti Costner vibe going after Waterworld and the bad press he got. And then he puts out this movie where he's a postman that's going to save America. I mean, it was just too much at that time. And I think people were really pushing against him. And he kind of faded for a little while. And he came back. Uh, he's never really reached the height, I think, of Dances with Wolves. And I don't know if he ever will again. Right. Um, but he's managed to make a career for himself. And uh, he's done well. And I think that The Postman is just a, again, it's just a, it's a, it's a swing and a miss, but it's a hell of a swing. I'll, I'll give him that. I have the answer to our our question. The worst film of 1997 is Troy, The Pest. Oh, yes. <laughs> Hands down. So there you go. That is the worst film. There you go. Well, I guarantee you that if you look through most worst of list, you can think anytime you see those, you can think of about five other films that are way worse than those. Hey, this was not uh, the worst movie I saw. I I I'm, I'll be honest. Not I'm, the worst, this is not even the worst movie I saw in the last month. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, for this year. I, I'm not, I don't, I'm with you. I don't think it's terrible. I think it's an interesting, interesting failure. I am really glad I got to sit down and watch it finally. So I can kind of say, well, I've seen all of it. And, and I think I, 
it's it's hard to say that there's you know a director style unless you're talking about Scorsese, Kubrick, you know some of the heavy hitters, right? But I do think I can between this Dances with Wolves open range, I can see Kevin Costner's style and how he likes to frame and film things. And I think this is a good looking film, even though it's a lot of, you know, grays, deserts, um, but, you know, the wilderness and the snow scenes, everything else, it, it looks good. I just. Yeah, I, for good or for good or bad, he thinks big. Yeah, I like that. I mean, he's only made three films and they're all big films. I would really like to see him direct again. I really would, especially after mm-hmm. seeing this film. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen. I just think a three hour film is daunting for the average moviegoer and to really have nothing exciting happen in your film is a big ask. Like I am okay with slow movies. Like I like samurai movies a lot. There's a lot of times where there's a lot of downtime in yeah. samurai films. Westerns are the same way. Um, yeah. A lot of sitting around. Yeah. But those are interesting. And this one just, to me, it just never got off the ground. And the more it went, the more ridiculous and the more I got to thinking. Um, I will say I've enjoyed talking about this film a hundred times more than actually sitting and, <laughs> well, there you and go. seeing it. Yeah. I, I, I thought this movie was trash, to be honest with you. Like, I, I'd never want to see this movie again. Um, I'll probably never just, watch it again. It's just. It just was a, a non-starter for me from the get-go, um, and I could just never get on board with it. Um, I don't know. It. I honestly, I it could, is what it is. I could find myself watching it one more time. I'm, I'm probably with Sammy. It's like I would not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind yeah. watching it again at some point down the road, um, just to revisit his filmography in total. Uh, and I probably like it a little bit more out of the three of us. But I'm not sitting here championing it at all. I just, yeah. I think it's. Yeah, I just, I, I don't, I couldn't see myself sitting down and watch it again. I think two times is enough. And I'm not, I, and that's not really, for me, that's not really a, a testament to the film being bad as much as, uh, because I've seen Lawrence of Arabia like five times. And I don't know if I ever want to watch that again. Yeah. But Lawrence of Arabia is awesome. I just don't know if I want to, you know, requisition that time to see it again. I mean, I don't, I don't how many times do you have to see a three or a four hour movie? I really, you know, everybody knows their limit. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I could watch Rumble in the Bronx a hundred times and probably not care, but you know, I love Lawrence of Arabia, but it's just not something I gravitate towards every time I think, yeah, I want to watch a movie. What do I want to watch? Let's watch a three and a half hour epic. Yeah. No, well, I, I mean, get it. I get it. Like seven samurais, like what? Two Oh two ten or something like that. Like yeah. it's almost a four hour movie. Like again, I don't know. Runtime it's amazing. is it's amazing, but I don't watch it that often because yeah. It's, but I, you know, if you told me, hey, let's watch Seven Samurai, I'd be like, okay, let's 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 yeah. do it. But yeah, I, you know, I I think runtime and how a movie feels like Dune is a long movie, and like I said before, like uh, Blade Brother twenty forty nine is a long movie. It's a long movie, but I feel like you don't really feel it as much. Um, this one, I just man. Yeah. It's a big ask. It's it, just a big ask. It's got to hook you, man. It's got to hook you. It is you for one of those time. things where it's like you look back and you see the budget and you see the runtime and you see and you're just like, oh, no wonder this movie bombed. Like it, it's clear as day why this thing is not, did not make any money at all. I, well, I'll say this. I'm surprised. I, I'll, I am. Well, I mean, I will, I will, 
I'm sorry to cut you off. Try. No, I, I'll sorry. agree with that until you think about the fact that Titanic was so huge that year. Yeah. And if you'd have told me the Titanic was going to be the movie it became, I would have told you you were crazy because it got the same bad press the Waterworld got. And everybody said it was going to fall on its face. Everybody, including James Cameron at one point, thought it was going to fall on its face. Yeah, that, that is true. I remember that. I mean, it. I yeah, think but you that watch Titanic and you're like, oh, damn, this is actually a really good movie. Yeah, and well, you tell- because, because it's well made. That, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, I watched a, I won't tell you what film is, but I watched a 90 minute movie today. And I swear to God, I was I saw my fingernails growing. It was the <laughs> longest 90 minutes of my life. It was it was dreadful. OK, yeah. I won't tell you what the film is. More to come of that in the future. But it was it was rough. Yeah. And I would rather watch the postman again than watch that. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Well, it it's to- it makes total sense when you look at the context of when this film came out in in uh Kevin's filmography, it was gonna bomb. And then if you I don't know if you guys watched the trailer, the trailer to this is terrible. It it is one of the it's worst bad. trailers ever. But I'll 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 give this compliment. This film is one of the few films in the last, I don't know, couple of years that I'm sitting there going hey, this is a great example of how time actually makes a film better and more topical versus when it came out. Mm-hmm. And and that intrigued me a little bit. So yeah. I, I don't think it intrigued me enough to kind of go, oh, wow, I'm, I really want to go out there and champion and say, hey, everybody should go and give The Postman a revisit. But I have a feeling, too, just me kind of poking around a little bit, there are a lot of fans of this film. And the fact that yeah. this just got raked over the coals and everything else, but to have those type of customer, you know, reviews to come back and say, Hey, I bought the film and I watch it. And anytime I was on TV, I watch it. I don't find that shocking, especially if you can buy into the world. And, um, I, you said it, Brad, I mean, I, this conversation I actually think has been really good. I mean, I did not, I in in my head I'm thinking are are we going to talk about these things or am I just crazy for picking this stuff up but I'm glad everybody it just kind of resonates or those pieces of it resonate. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I didn't know if you guys picked up on as much as I did with all the political stuff. I, I assumed you did, but I didn't want to say anything via text. <laughs> That's always fun. I will say I I had a real good sleep uh, Friday night when I was about halfway through this movie. That's why I had to, <laughs> had to cut it in half because boy, I fell asleep and. Didn't wake up till the next morning. I was like, oh, boy, I totally <laughs> fell asleep during the second uh, half of The Postman. And I guarantee I'm not the only person that ever done that before. So, Of course. Yeah. Well, uh, any other notes? Any other thoughts on this one? I thought I thought that was a pretty good discussion. It, it went places I was hoping it would go. Yeah. No, I don't I don't have anything else. I, I mean, I think it's it's an interesting conversation. It's It's another one of those things where sometimes a film that isn't great can lead to just as much great conversation as a great film. And again, that's the reason why I love doing this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Spot on, man. Well, I'm going to start with you, Brad. Uh, We just got done talking about Kevin Costner's sophomore directorial effort, The Postman from 1997. Is this movie a bomb? Absolutely bomb. This is one of those movies where right after I got done watching and I was like, yes, I know. I understand exactly why this movie bombed. Um, It's clear as day. Uh, as someone who works in the risk world to green like this movie is, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, sometimes you, you look at stuff and you're just like, man, I don't know how, why would they give this $80 million, $80 million. And I don't think it looks like they spent $80 million to be honest with you. So, well, I uh, honestly, I mean, there are practical sets and things like that, but man, it just is not, 
with with doesn't do it for me, and I'm never going to watch this movie again unless for some reason I'm, I have to. I don't know why. I don't know why I would have to, but I'm not going to. Okay. All right. All right, Sammy, you got to you got to see the postman again. You're one of the few that ventured into it twice. Is this one a bomb? Uh, I'm afraid it is a bomb, uh, and it's a bomb because I don't think the film really knows what it wants to be. I think it's misguided, and uh, I think it's a little bit of a vanity project. I think you may have you guys may have talked me off the vanity project a little bit, but it still feels a little bit more like a vanity project, like a hey, I want an Oscar. We need this extra hour. Um, yeah, I just think it's it's misguided. It's sloppy. Uh, it's interesting. And I wouldn't tell anybody not to see it. But I understand why it bombed. I really do. I, I agree with both of you. I, this hurts, though, because I found so much to like in it. But I do think I'm kind of with you. It feels more like a vanity project. Uh, there are. I just don't know if it knew what it wanted to be back in 1997 when you get to the back end. I, I think they were doing some interesting things with these characters, but they don't come to a conclusion that I typically buy. Like when this film was over, especially the Kevin Costner character and some others, I'm like, I, I don't know if I buy where these characters ended up at the end of the film. And I think it's because there are some things that happen in the back half that just don't make sense to where they were going in the first half. However, I, right. I I would be the same way. I, I would not call this film terrible. There's a lot of stuff I liked in it, and um, but but at the end of the day, it's it it's a bomb, and it and it kind of hurts me to say that it's a bomb because there there were you know blocks of time I'm sitting there going I, I think I kind of like this film, and then something would happen yeah. and be like ooh yeah I don't know, so yeah again that first hour I watched it and I'm like yes I'm right about this movie this movie's better than people say it is. <laughs> and then for whatever reason, it falls off a cliff for me. Then you're like, oh, that's only 33% of the movie. There's still. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, there's, there's still a whole other movie, movie left. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's some stuff in the back I, I like too, but yeah, I just, uh, I can't recommend it, but I would still like, I would love to talk to somebody else who's seen this thing and get their input on it and, you know, see what their take is on watching a movie like this in 2021 and, um, do, you know, do they have a different interpretation? I actually think it's a pretty good conversation piece. Um, it's certainly that. It's definitely that. Yeah. Well, Brad, we uh, we had some feedback from last week's show, which I, I thought we would. I, I was going to go ahead and read that. If uh, Yeah, I, I'm not sure I know. Oh, yes, I do know what you're talking about. Please yeah. read. Yeah, this is uh, – We got clear. We got we got permission to read it. So we got permission from, uh, let's, let's say, Chad. Chad said we could read this. <laughs> oh, Chad. <laughs> Chad. Uh, here's the feedback from Chad. Good listener. Good friend, Chad. Yeah. I am listening to Troy date rape Halloween three rest assured that all his interrogatories will be answered one day in a verbal format. You don't take a sweet piece of cinema like this, strip it of its innocence and write it naked through the town square while Dr. Zhivago and citizen Kane look on. If that isn't some of the best now, chef's kiss. Yeah. That's just the first paragraph. I'm still going here. Here we go. We, the listeners, are treated to seven minutes diatribe about robots not choking people properly. I don't know if I went on seven minutes, but it felt like yeah, it I, probably you know, felt I, more I, like 20. Have, it but was, It was the postman of robot. Talk. It was the postman yeah. of robot <laughs> choking talk. 
The first two minutes were pretty good. And then the last five, you're like, oh God, please. This is where really like I am in tears when I'm reading this. So here, here's <clears throat> if Troy hadn't spent a career in management, he might know that gen one products frequently are beset by coding errors. Not a lot of opportunity to strangle things in the lab. You know, that's a Actually, good point. No, no, really. No, there no. is a lot of, a lot of you, you things go through so much testing and there's so many, <laughs> I thought you were going to say there's a I lot of opportunity probably, to choke people in the lab. <laughs> yeah, it, it, might, it might be the opposite, actually. The choking might be like actual beheading in the early test. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. All people right, sure, are like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that grip is like the, the force. Because you can set the number between zero and 100. So yeah. you're going to set it at like 50 and see what happens. And then the head falls off. You're like, oh, okay. gosh. All right. Go back down. Well, he goes on. Chad, Chad has more points. Um a sweet, hopeful, and innocent piece of genre filmmaking was just brutally abused by a power extrovert. Wow. A power extrovert <clears throat> who can't simply watch a film alone without his entire world collapsing. <laughs> this is, wow, this is brutal. Yeah. All the special magical things from the top shelf in the back corner all got poured into one movie. Stonehenge, robots, extermination of children, Bad first dates. <laughs> that made me laugh. This movie is ripe for Amy Schumer or one of those female comedians to come along and make a new classic for a new generation. Then you all see. Then you all see. And if any of you have been paying attention, Michael Myers is a robot from the effing company. In the next Halloween movie, they'll, they're going to pull up his effing mask and he's going to be a robot with a reflector inside his mask. It explains everything. That actually does explain. That, that, you know what? If they did that, if Halloween ends, they pull off and there's a chip and it. He's a robot. There's a laser that comes out. Oh, my God. That yeah. would be the greatest thing in the entire world. Yeah. Um, better. Bet, I bet that it would be a better movie. I agree. Says, uh, I know that. Why is Michael unlikable? Because he's a robot powered by Stonehenge and corporations. You're welcome. To be fair, Troy eventually staked out his position as attacking people who critically praise the film. That's a whole different beast than saying it's a bad film. I still think it's a bad film. It's just a fun bad film. Uh, it's a gift from Mad Men to Twisted Children. That was uh, some listener feedback from Chad. Uh, I, I, I know that, Chad. I think I that, that is I know that the, Chad well. Yeah. Matter of fact. Yeah. I got that. I got that uh, piece of feedback too, and I'm not even on the show all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is wonderful. I, nobody comes, writes feedback like this. Uh, it's fantastic. I got to say, it's always nice when this Chad doesn't come after this guy. He didn't come after me. He was on my side this time, which makes me feel even better. Hey, I still yeah. stand by. I think it's a terrible, bad film. I don't enjoy watching on my. I love watching with a group of people. Um, I love the fact so many, I mean, we, we got so many responses when we posted that episode of how many people love Halloween. Um, I still, I still think it's flawed to say it, it's a better piece of cinema than the first one, but you know, Hey, to each their own, I guess. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That, that statement doesn't hold any water, but I can understand people liking it. Yeah. I can, I mean, I, I don't think it's a great film. I can't even remember what we reviewed it and what I gave it, but I do enjoy it. I, I do, do remember. It. I, I, and I don't want to misquote or, or say, but I think, is it Will, one of those people? Doesn't he yeah, say yeah, three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He likes okay. it more than one, yeah. Yeah. Okay. He don't like one. That I think one is a perfect movie. I mean, it. if... I agree. Yeah, if there's any such thing as a perfect slasher movie, then Halloween one is it. 
Yeah. And again, if, if you were to tell me Halloween three is a better group experience than any of the Halloween films and it's a total blast to watch, I, I could, I, I would sign off on probably, that. It's probably a better group watching Halloween one. <laughs> oh, I, I agree a hundred percent. I would sign off on that comment all day long, but I, I love the appreciation people have for this. I'm glad everybody enjoyed the episode and I, I love this type of feedback. Brad, if um, if anybody else wants to send us their thoughts or maybe you want to, you know, share their experiences with Kevin Costner's The Postman, how do they get a hold of us? Uh, that is notabombpod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, so you can get us there. We will answer your comments. Um, do you want to know what we're doing next week? Yes. You know we've already said. Yeah. What are we doing next week? Oh, boy. So I know nothing about this film, um, the film that we are doing is 1987's Ishtar. It's an Eileen May film. I just learned that Dustin Hoffman was in it. I had like, I literally know zero about Charles this Grodin's in it. Yeah. Uh, I think Warren it's Beatty. written by Warren Beatty, maybe. Um, um I, he may have had a lot to do with it. He went through a Costner phase too. No, I think he's producer. I think Eileen May actually, wrote I think it, she wrote and yeah. directed it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Beatty was uh, nominated for an Oscar for Reds, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So I, I know nothing about this movie. For some reason, I thought it was like, I, I don't even want to, I thought it was like a Middle Eastern movie, but apparently it's about two guys if, that if, are like, if, Simon, if, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say anything, but yeah, yeah. I'm clueless on this movie. It's a road um, movie essentially is what it is. Yeah. yeah it's a, yeah. it's a like uh hope and Crosby road film. So it's supposed to be a comedy. I think I if you, for, yeah. yeah, if you Google like worst movies ever, Ishtar is usually like top three. Yep. Um, everybody wow. will claim that it's like one of the worst films ever made. And, and apparently it just totally bombed at the box office. I think it it is a, a big stain on Beatty and um, Hoffman's career. And uh, I am curious to visit. I've never seen it ever. Yeah, I, I will admit I don't know much about. I, I look at Eileen May's filmography and I'm like, oh boy, I, this is a big, uh, big void for me because I, I think I've seen Heartbreak Kid and I think that's it. Oh, okay. Have so. you seen Ishtar, Sammy? I have. I have. I've seen it. Uh, I don't remember liking it very much. <laughs> oh boy. But do I think it's one of the worst movies ever made? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> As, be, as somebody who kind of you know rolls around in the muck of cinema, I was gonna quite say often, you're you're down in yeah. the uh, trenches there. Yeah, in yeah. The bad yeah. movies. Yeah, I intentionally go looking for that stuff, but uh, in fairness, uh, I don't think it's uh, you know I don't think it deserves the re that reputation. Yeah, um, I, I'm always no, worried. I, I'll just leave it at that. I'll be interested to hear what y'all think about it. Yeah, I'm always worried about the '80s comedies too because uh, some of the humor today just doesn't hit. Um, but when it does hit, it's pretty damn funny. Uh, Here's looking at you, Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> so, yeah, Sammy, uh, uh, times change. What, what do you got yeah. coming up? You you guys are kind of still working behind the scenes, right? But it, there, there's hope, right? Looks like something might be coming there's around hope. the corner. There's hope. There's hope. Uh, we we hope to get together and maybe try to record something. There's there's hope. That things will work out. There's a lot of dry runs coming. There's a lot of uh, scheduling that we're going to test and things like that. Something will happen with the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema. But and I, if I was a betting man, I'd say it'll be back. In Sweet. what form it'll be back, I don't know yet. But it will be back. Uh, I can't go without it, and uh, I'll make it happen. Come hell or high water. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, man. 
Well, uh, we're still, I, I got an episode I'm sitting on for Cowboy Bebop. We'll get that out. And Sammy will be back on that. You'll also be back this month to talk about Heaven's Gate. So that'll be the movie after Ishtar. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Jeez, I forgot. Did I sign up for that one? You I did, signed up I? for that one, too. You picked what? The Postman and Heaven's Gate. And those are two films that you've seen. I think there was another one I signed up for, too, but I don't remember. You got to keep you got to keep me on board with this because I, I'm terrible with scheduling and remembering. Things. Oh, hey, the minute you raise your hand, we put your name down. So don't worry about <laughs> yeah. that. I know. I know that. <laughs> I just I have a hard enough time keeping my own schedule. Hiatus, hiatus. That's what you say. <laughs> That's right. Well, listen, folks, we really appreciate you, you know, downloading the episode, spending time with us, talking about Kevin Costner. I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. I hope you're having an awesome day. Come join us next week when Brad and I will sit down and see if Dustin Hoffman, Warren Beatty, and Charles Grodin are funny when we talk about Ishtar. Evil dies tonight. There's good air and ice one.